An ex-convict with a sport of settled moves in the town. A lawyer and his family stalked. The battle between law and their worst fears. All this can only mean one thing. We're comparing Cape Fear on this episode of Retro vs. Remake. I'm Dan Bielek. Welcome to another episode of Retro vs. Remake. This is the series where we compare movies and their remakes. Join us as we answer the question, should this remake exist? Today's films are Cape Fear. Cape Fear 1962 starring Gregory Peck, Robert Mitchum, Polly Bergen, Lori Martin, Martin Balsam, Jack Crucian, Telly Savalas, and Barry Chase. Directed by J. Lee Thompson, Written by John D. McDonald, who wrote the novel, and James R. Webb, who wrote the screenplay, and with music by Bernard Herman. Cape Fear 1991, starring Rob De Niro, Bobby, Nick Nolte, Jessica Lang, Juliette Lewis, Joe Don Baker, Robert Mitchum, Gregory Peck, Elena Douglas, Red Dalton Thompson. It's directed by uh, an alumni, Martin Scorsese, written by Wesley Strip who did the adapted screenplay for this film, and music by Elmer Bernstein, although he basically adapted and reprised the Bernard Herrmann score. Well, Dan, what's your first experience with the film? My first experience with the film, I actually saw the remake around the time it um, came to like pay-per-view uh, back in the early 90s. I remember definitely way too young to have seen it. Um, the first scene that I saw, like when I walked into the room was pretty much the scene where uh, Sam hires the guys to beat up <laughs> De Niro. And I'm like, what is happening? What, what is this violence I'm exposed to? Um, yeah, and then I watched the rest of the movie and that ending, the way uh, De Niro's character dies, that just really terrified me. And I've always been afraid of drowning because of this movie. <laughs> Um, but luckily, there's been a lot of good parodies to kind of <laughs> lighten well, that terror. Um, the Simpsons did an amazing parody with uh, Sideshow Bob. I know there's a, there's a movie called Fatal Instinct, which is like okay. a big spoof movie, and they did a big section of Cape Fear. So this movie was equally terrifying and uh, hilarious for me <laughs> as a kid. And I had yeah. never, seen the re- uh, I'd never seen the original before. Yeah. Uh, what made me afraid of drowning was actually a uh, retro versus remake alumni Tomb Raider. Uh, <laughs> when you play the video game, she drowns. It's like she does this weird twitchy thing, and they make a reference to it. And um, oh, they make a reference to it in Adventure Brothers. Huh. So uh, I said all that because I have no experience with either of these films. Uh, <laughs> this was my recommendation, but it's mostly because I had to check off the Cape Fear box. Uh, never seen it, and it, it was time. All right. Well, welcome <laughs> to, the, to the group. Uh-huh. Welcome to this terrifying psychological thriller. <laughs> we'll just jump right in with our synopsis. Max Katie is released from prison after serving many years for battery and rape. Katie promptly tracks down Sam Bowden, a lawyer residing in Georgia, whom he holds personally responsible for his conviction. Katie begins to stalk and subtly threaten Bowden's family. He kills the Bowden family dog. Though Sam Bowden can't prove that Katie did it. Sam attempts to have Katie arrested, but the police have no evidence of a crime. Afraid of what Katie is capable of, but with no legal remedy to stop him, Sam hires a private detective to get dirt on Katie. Katie brutally rapes another young woman, but neither the private eye nor Bowden can persuade her to testify. In Bowden, Katie makes contact with Bowden's teenage daughter. 
Knowing he's at a dead end, Bowden hires three men to beat up Katie, like you mentioned, and coerce him to leave town. But the plan backfires when Katie gets a better of all three. In an attempt to trick Katie, Bowden makes it seem as though he's gone out of town. He fully expects Katie to follow his wife and daughter, and he plans on killing Katie to end the battle. The two men engage in a final fight on the riverbank of Cape Fear, and each movie ends its respective way. Right, That's nice. for a synopsis. That's <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. I, I relive the whole movie, or both movies right there. Very nice. Yep. yep. Although these are um, effectively, you know, for the most part, the same storyline, there are a lot of key differences throughout the film. Mm-hmm. And honestly, the biggest difference, I think, is the portrayal of our sort of main antagonist, Max Cady. In the 1962 film, Max Cady is played by Robert Mitchum. You just put the law in my hands, and I'm going to break your heart with it. And in the 1991 version, Rob De Niro does his version of Max Cady. Counselor, is that you? Counselor, come out, come out wherever you are. Let's start with uh, the old original Max Cady. Simple Southern man, just kind of... (laughs) Shuffles around. He's not very assuming at all. Just it's him and his Panama hat. Uh, <laughs> what's, your, what's your early read on this guy? Yeah, so the original Max Cady by Richard Meacham. Yeah, like you said, very unassuming. Just looks like a random dude. And if he wasn't constantly stalking Sam, you would just think just a, an average dude. There's nothing about him that's necessarily menacing. Um, he doesn't even look that muscular because he's always wearing very loose fitting clothes. So you don't really get an idea of his physique until like he's in jail and they kind of do that strip search of him. Not very threatening uh, at all until you get to those more violent scenes with him. And especially towards the end of the movie when pretty much is going to rape or try to rape the two women. So um, yeah, just a very, uh, very held back uh, performance. He's not, the mustache twirling villain and you know for a movie that came out in the 60s it's it's pretty good because you think they'd want it to be more obvious that this guy is the threat so they almost play with your expectations like is he really a threat or is is this all in sam's mind and i like what they did there that original one i think it's really effective um honestly for a lot of the early parts of the film like you mentioned you're not sure that this guy is the bad guy really what lets you know is the score which i know we're going to talk about <laughs> quite a bit but like there's this uh ominous music and uh <laughs> i started watching it and pre walked into the room at one point and like just did like that uh like the dramatic gopher <laughs> i had you know, like, oh, shit. <laughs> it's like with that music basically anyone could be scary <laughs> right <laughs> if you like if you take that out of it it's like kind of like this mundane like you mentioned this guy is just kind of like Hey, you know, I moved into town. Like, did he poison my dog? Did he not poison my dog? Um, this version of Katie does a better job of like skirting the law because he really isn't doing anything, right? At least seemingly. Right. Yeah. So, I think he's very good at playing that role. And it's not until we see the scene uh, with uh, the Diane Taylor character later right. on, right, where you're like, oh, okay, yeah, that's a bad. <laughs> <laughs> that's a uh, very uncool and. Later in the film, he starts to get a little bit creepier towards the daughter and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. he's, he's a late arrival to villainry versus Rob De Niro from the start of the film. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Opening scene in jail. Just. Hey, 
all inked up, <laughs> just working out. What has all these like fucking books on his shelf, like pictures of Stalin, all these horrible things, <laughs> and just uh, okay, that's our villain for sure, yeah. Yeah. no doubt. Yeah, it's like you seen this guy working out, and Danilo got pretty jacked for this role. Um, yeah, like all this character traits are already being shown. Like you mentioned, the books are there, and there's like legal books, and also some other more questionable material mm-hmm. in his reading list. Um, he's got this crazy back tat of like, it's the cross, but it's got the scales of justice on it. And mm-hmm. uh, the one that says truth is the Bible, the one that says justice is a knife. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> all right. Like you mentioned, <laughs> real sideshow Bob energy <laughs> coming <laughs> from this guy. And I, I think that, oh, and also let's not forget uh, that he also has like, these very extreme SS tattoos on his uh, yes. <laughs> his stomach. So if it, if he wasn't just a kind of crazy religious zealot, he's also a Nazi. So <laughs> do you know this is the villain? <laughs> it's interesting to make the villain more villainous from the beginning. We know to be afraid of this guy. Right. Well, you know, I, I do like kind of that ambiguity of the first one. I think that's just a more interesting thing in general. It is fun to see what De Niro does with this character because he really does get to go all over with this character because Robert De Niro's Max Cady was in jail for 14 years. The original Max Cady was in jail for eight years. Um, we don't really know much about the original Max Cady's in- incarceration or just what happened. We know he read a lot. He said he read a lot of books. Um, same thing sort of happened to this Max Cady. He was illiterate before he went to jail but then he started reading a lot he said he started with like simple like children's books and then he went on to law books so he likes to consider himself a lawyer um he also went over like some of the horrible things he had to endure he said he got raped by white and black men so um a lot of raping going on four guys holding you down in jail and stuff (laughs) yeah and like you said twice not just the white guys right (laughs) that's right so um yeah this is a very tortured individual who's been hardened by the um the legal system um so you could i could understand why he'd be very mad getting out of jail not to discount the original i think that the original does do a good job of uh which you don't really get the same scene in the remake of outlining like what that katie lost um well you don't hear about like the brutality of prison he's like you know his wife left him uh the kid and like yes de niro brings that up but i felt like um uh, Mitchum did a really good job of like kind of explaining what happened to him mm-hmm. and the De Niro version I think there was just so much other stuff going on that like kind of like you could blink and miss the back story about his daughter not knowing who he is or right dead. yeah in the remake he does mention that he had a daughter but he doesn't even know who she is or she doesn't know who he is but in the original Katie goes into a lot of detail about like you know i had a wife and kid and then she married this other guy but then i found her after i got out of jail and then i pretty much kidnapped her probably raped her got her drunk and everything and like threatened her it's like it's really dark and he has this roundabout way of saying it because he doesn't explicitly say what he did Mm -hmm. he just says you know i took her i made her write this letter to her family got her good and drunk and then i made her do this and that's what that's how i deal with my women or problems and it's like yeah. jesus christ like that original max katie's really fucking nasty man yeah yeah and, and it's like uh he's very good at that like um where de niro yes he does play sort of the legal margins he knows because he's so studied of the law 
where the line is, and he uses it effectively. The original K is just so good at just being subtle about everything. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, mister, what, what you pushing me for? I'm just a man out here enjoying a beer. I didn't know that was a crime. <laughs> like, uh, but when he gets into it, like, he is very effective at taking something that's, like, horrific and making it sound like, all right, what's he, what's he talking about? Great, great job by Mitchum in that respect, because uh, if you don't have those sort of spoken moments, like, who is this guy? <laughs> Yeah, you don't see, the movie does it a great way in the original of not really showing you the violence. We talked about like the first time he attacks um, Diane, like, you know, you see him like about to rough her up, but then the camera like pans outside and you just kind of see some figures like through the window. You don't actually see the violence. Um, they, they do shy away from it pretty well in the original, but, you know, again, like your imagination just like leads you places like... Oh, yeah. Like what happened to her? I, I need to know what exactly what he did. So uh, it's, even though they don't show a lot of it, it's still really effective in the original. In the remake though, <laughs> you get that. It's Scorsese and it's Scorsese in the 90s. So you get plenty of that violence up front. It's still pretty brutal. Yeah, it's brutal. I mean, like there's kind of like this, uh, this play off of like the brutality, almost like the animalism of uh, this Max Katie in the remake. And this Katie's trying to drag our protagonist into those waters. And like, uh, we'll talk about a little bit in the ending scene, like just how animalistic that fight gets between those two mm-hmm. is really pronounced. I mean, he literally bites his victim uh, mm-hmm. in uh, the rape scene in this um, remake. And it, it's just like, hey man, this guy is like, I don't know. he. There's something very special about the evil that this guy is uh, capable of. And Scorsese does a good job of kind of blending the gore with the, uh, with the artistic. I think that my take on this was like, it was very stylized, the film. And there was a lot of um, not so subtle metaphors and stuff like that throughout the film. And uh, both, both work, right? Like the idea mm-hmm. of like the pan away works really well in the 1960s because like your imagination takes over, but seeing this Katie in action it's very effective in this film, which is kind of, like I mentioned, more kind of like hyper-visual. And uh, I thought that both styles worked effectively. Yeah, true. And Max Cady also has a little bit more of a chip on his shoulder in the remake. Um, he's kind of fighting against this white trash <laughs> label right. that it's sort of pinned on him. I ain't no white trash piece of shit. I'm better than you all. How can I learn you? I can outrage you, I can outthink you, and I can outphilosophize you. Like I said, he was illiterate, but now he can read, and he's reading law books, and he uh, goes around quoting the Bible, too. So it's like, okay, he's like, all right. (laughs) I I get it. And, you know, like you said before, he's got the huge cross tattoo on his back. Yeah, so... um, He's got some of that going on. He he, get, he speaks in tongues <laughs> at yeah. the very end of the movie. So uh, you throw in a little bit of that religious stuff in there combined with this chip on his shoulder. He does come across as a little bit crazy at times. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I, I think the, the chip um, is important for this remake character because in the original, they more or less respect him from the beginning, right? Like uh, mm-hmm. the Sam Bowden character knows very early on it's like oh no this guy's really crappy he knows um 
he's too smart for that. Like, you hear that so many times in movies. Right. Ah, he's too smart to fall for that. He's too smart to fall for this. In the remake, they kind of, like, do play into, like you mentioned, that white trash element. Katie, like you mentioned, is trying to prove himself, and he's like, I'm better than you. I'm better than you all. It's <laughs> like, he, he doesn't feel that because of society. And uh, they don't give him enough respect until it's almost, like, too late mm-hmm. to start respecting him. And uh, I think that's sort of why we get different kind of endings for these two characters. Uh, but uh, that distinction is important in this remake. And I think it's actually a smart choice to have him feel like he's lesser than because of his quote unquote white trash uh, past. Anything else? It's kind of hard to just talk about Katie without talking about the other characters. Yeah, I think um, it is hard to talk about Katie without that because um, the differences between the Sam Bowden's really kind of like start to build out both of the characters. So I think you're right. Mm-hmm. Sam Bowden, we have Gregory Peck playing Sam Bowden in the 1962 film. I've seen the worst, the dregs, but you, you are the lowest. And Nick Nolte, which I was not expecting in the 1991 <laughs> film. So we got this freaking psychopath in our faces. I mean, who knows what's true and what isn't? If you told me it was going to be Nick Nolte, I would be like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right? You're like, okay, I guess he could play this guy. Yeah. Um, especially like the roles he takes on today. Originally, they wanted Harrison Ford, which I, when hmm. I heard that, I was like, oh, that's a good that choice. But uh, cool. he, he turned it down. I know. I didn't kill I did. my wife. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that would have been interesting. But um, Gregory Peck in the original film, is uh he's Gregory Peck, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> Atticus Finch. <laughs> totally an Atticus Finch type character. Uh you know, you're tall, genteel southern lawyer, uh square jawed, uh, family man. He's he's a very straightforward, kind of like sixties prototypical male protagonist. And he he's also in this film pretty much like you mentioned Atticus Finch is a great comparison. He's a really noble guy, right? Like, uh, mm-hmm. he, he's pushed into this situation of going back and forth with Katie, and he makes some choices that uh, he normally wouldn't uh, to try to protect his family. But overall, he's coming from, like, a pretty righteous place, like, mm-hmm. more of a self-defense type character than anything else. And um, he does have to get kind of pulled back by his wife at one point, who's like, right, if you shoot him, you're going to go to jail. Right. Um, so... He's respectful enough of the law that he's like, all right, I, I got to play within a certain rule set. And what I thought was interesting in this 1992, what I thought was interesting in this 1991 film was that Nick Nolte, not so much. This guy's got no. a lot of, uh, <laughs> he's got a lot of problems. <laughs> yes, he does have a very shady past and probably present at the same time. Um, it's not the... Uh, I guess the noble <laughs> character that we had in the original film. This is a very flawed character and we can kind of see that pretty early on because we see him kind of with this other girl and it doesn't look like he's just friends or he just wants it to be friends. So it's heavily implied that if he's not already having an affair that he's trying to have an affair with this woman and then it's sort of revealed later he didn't have an affair but maybe he did have an affair in the past. They yeah. mentioned like Atlanta or something. And then they had to see a therapist about that. So this Sam Bowden uh, likes the ladies um, that aren't his wife. (laughs) I think that's fair to say. And that, you know, it affects the marriage. It affects the relationship with his daughter. And uh, 
it just creates all this tension that you never had in the original film. Yeah, that tension comes into play a lot. Like you mentioned, this idea of like um, of infidelity and the fact that like he's put his family through this before. The fact that he clearly hasn't really learned his lesson. Um, mm -hmm. You know, sure, it's just like an innocent game of squash with the, the law clerk, <laughs> but uh, clearly, like you mentioned, there's more. There's more to it than that, and mm -hmm. he's willing to have like private, quiet conversations <laughs> on the phone with someone. And like you mentioned, that tension is clearly in his marriage. They he fights with his wife uh, pretty frequently. And the tension, like you mentioned, extends to his daughter, who, like, you know, Gregory Peck, who's, like, just the doting, loving dad. Right. And this guy, who's, like, you know, he's like, uh, he'll kind of shake his daughter, you know? Like, <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of implied violence from this Sam Bowden that um, mm -hmm. really kind of flavored the film. And one thing that I thought was, I thought it was interesting to flesh him out like that, mm -hmm. but I did think that it kind of detracted from my concern for him. Sure, his family, I still was worried about. Right. But making him kind of a scumbag made it harder to rally behind him the way that I, I did for Gregory Peck. Yeah, am I really gonna root for this guy who's kind of trying to cheat on his wife and he's not really a great father? And you know, then you got the Gregory Peck and it's like, well, if he's gone, then their, their lives are gonna be ruined because he's such a great husband and father. I, I need him to survive. I don't want anything bad to happen to him. If, you know, if his wife divorced him in the remake and the daughter went with the wife and it was just Nick Nolte by himself and then he had to face uh, Max, you know, it wouldn't, it might be, <laughs> I might be okay with the, the end result of that because this isn't the best human being in the world. But um, I think there's enough goodness there that you can root for him. He's not a complete scumbag. You know, he's, He's trying, and his wife is a strong enough character where she is able to call him out on his bullshit. So it's not like he's taking advantage of um, his wife or just like pulling one over her. She's like she's she's savvy to his fucking ways, and she's not going to put up with his shit all the time. So I think her pushing back um, lets you know it's, it's it's okay because like she thinks he's kind of a piece of shit, but she's going to stick like stick it out with him. But she's not going to you know just take his shit right. all the time. As much as he's flawed in that sense the biggest flaw of the kind of the reason in this case that Katie's after him uh, and a big difference between these films mm -hmm. is that he intentionally botched Katie's right. case um, 14 years ago, right? Like, mm -hmm. he's in there, he had information about the, uh, I guess, the promiscuity of the Yeah, uh, the that's a, which doesn't sound like a great defense anyway. Like, oh, it's okay that he raped and battered this woman because she likes to bang a lot of men it's like well uh, yeah. you're still going to jail <laughs> i don't give a fuck like well, i don't know how things were done in the 70s but i just don't think that's a good defense yeah yeah and it's like all right potentially it could, he could have got less sentence but like you know there is a sort of legal responsibility um and i guess because of the profession a moral responsibility to defend someone to the best of your ability even if you think mm -hmm. they're a scumbag but like for your kind of average person like you and me watching this, it's like, hey, yeah, so you botched the, the psycho's case, eh, whatever. But, right. you know, he, he did have a moral obligation and like that does stain his, uh, his ethics, even though it may have been for like a seemingly noble cause. So I thought that that duality was pretty interesting. I think int introducing this idea of like, um, like you mentioned, like you're still going to go to jail, but like introducing what, women have to go through 
on the stand when they make these accusations. I thought uh, the movie was really strong in that portrayal. And uh, when we see some later scenes where the victim doesn't testify, it's like, all right, because you guys are both lawyers. You know how this works. You're going to drag this woman through the mud. And um, in this case, Nick Nolte didn't want to drag this woman through the mud to defend a, uh, a villain. And it, it cost him. Um, it cost him quite a bit. Mm. It's, uh, I, I like the addition of making him the lawyer who didn't um, present all the evidence. Um, it's like we said, he's kind of a scumbag, but you know, that's a noble gesture. He's, he decided, he made a choice at that point. He's like, okay, I don't care about, <laughs> you know, being a proper lawyer here. I need to, this woman, the way she was battered, just 16 year old girl too, mm-hmm. same age as his daughter in the film. So he's, he took a, a noble stand. He's like, this man needs to go to jail. And so I'm going to withhold some information, some evidence. And, you know, as shitty as he can be because he's trying to cheat on his wife, at least he's like, he recognizes like, well, this guy's bad. And even though I'm his lawyer, he should still go to jail. So I'm not going to say this one thing, you know, he didn't purposely like throw the case, but he just withheld some information. I think that's a better reason for Katie to be after him as opposed to the original where he wasn't even his lawyer. He was just a witness. Yeah, he was like and, in, in Baltimore. Yeah, stumbles, randomly stumbles. there. And like, it makes sense too. Cause like in the remake, he goes, well, why are you coming after me? Why don't you go after the DA or the judge? He's like, well, they were just doing their jobs. You were the one who was supposed to like, K- Katie knew that something wasn't right there. And that makes sense. Like in the original, it's like, why are you going against the one guy who testified against you? You could just go after the judge or right. even the, the, the prosecution, you know, like <laughs> go after anybody. I don't know why you have to, you chose the witness. It, it does seem a little more random in the original. I do like that they tightened it up in the remake. Yeah, I thought that it was a smart, um, smart choice because, you know, we talked about this in the past with different protagonists, but like Gregory Peck, a little too much, uh, like you mentioned, Atticus Finch, a little too much of a hero here. It's just like mm-hmm. you're stumbling upon crime scenes and stopping crimes and testifying. <laughs> and it, a little too, a little too perfect. Um, you know, I do like that they do give Gregory Peck a little bit of edge with the scene with uh, the gun going after um, Katie, mm-hmm. but I think that's more a function of the story than like how they usually have Gregory Peck right. uh, portrayed in films during this this time period. So, as much as like the flaws of Nick Nolte did make me care a little bit less about him and the result to him, uh, the pure villainry of Max Katie by Rob De Niro is just like all right, I know he might suck a little bit, but, like, nobody deserves this. And, like, mm-hmm. the, the lengths that Rob De Niro's character is willing to go to and the brutality of his crime, just, like, yeah, like, it's, it's not good. And uh, I think you're right. The, the wife figure in this remake really mm-hmm. helps um, pull this all together. Yeah. So I think we should get into the family at this point because that'll help flesh out both of these characters. In the 1962 film, we've got Polly Bergen, who plays Peggy Bowden. If you touch me, you'll go back to prison for life. You want to make a little bet on that? But you will. I'm not like Nancy. I'm not afraid to testify. I swear it. You've got to believe me. I'm not afraid. And in the remake, we have a name change. We have Jessica Lane playing Lee Bowden. This town is so very nice, and everything is just so very, very nice. And, uh, and if we're going to bring them up, we might as well talk about the daughters as well. We've got Lori Martin in 1962 playing Nancy Bowden. Lori Martin, 
I believe is uh, 13 at the time, if I'm remembering the movie right, which uh, that's a whole nother Th- thing. 13 or 14, yeah, it's pretty young. <laughs> yeah. And then Juliette Lewis, uh, who plays Danielle Bowden in the 1991 film. You thought about me last night, didn't you? Um, yes, I did. We got name changes for the mother and daughter, but uh, effectively similar characters. Polly Bergen is a classic <laughs> actress in the 1960s, right? Like, <clears throat> stand there, look good, say like, <laughs> a few words, and uh, when, it's, when it's time to scream, you scream. <laughs> like that's, uh, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, um, roles were very limited <laughs> right. um, in that time frame. So she has some strengths. Uh, in terms of like, hey, if you walk out of here, you go try to kill that guy, right. I'm going to call the police. That's her strongest scene. And um, I appreciate that she does it. It does help kind of like ground the movie and make that family tie. And uh, the conflict that Gregory Peck has helps make that conflict kind of like work better. But Jessica Lange, uh, Lee Bowden, is a more modern sort of woman. Mm-hmm. She has her own career. Right. She works in like marketing. So she does sketches and stuff around the house. Um, uh, because she's a more modern woman, like infidelity is something that like she has to actually battle with, um, as opposed to someone in like the 1960s may have to just deal with it. Like she has recourse, and I, I thought that uh, Lang's portrayal was uh, was actually very strong. Yeah, Jessica Lang, just like you said, a more modern woman. She just gets more to do. You know, Polly Berger and just the you know the pretty housewife who just <laughs> takes care of the daughter, makes sure the house is clean. I guess and it's not really much to her. She, like you said, she has that one good scene where he's about to go out with the gun and then she calls the cops and he comes back. And, you know, she's kind of an equal sometimes. Like um, when he's going through the plan at the end of the movie, he really just has an alone moment with his wife. He's like, like I'm going to go through with this only if you say yes. And then she's just like, yes, let's, let's get him, Sam. So yeah. I like that he at least, you know... <laughs> Just let me just make sure it's okay with the wife. I like that he did that, yeah. but she doesn't really have um much to do, like more than like victim, like you said. Um, yeah. Max really has a fucking really creepy scene with her at the end of the movie. No. Um, maybe we no. might be able. No, no. <laughs> yeah, no. maybe we'll save that for the ending. Yeah, let's, um, let's but, but yeah, yeah, she's she's just the. Uh, the dutiful, dutiful wife who looks pretty and then plays the victim when she's the victim. So there's not much to her. Jessica Lang, though, like he said, she has her own career. She pushes back. She pushes back against Max. She pushes back against her own husband. Um, just, yeah, a really interesting character. A lot stronger in the remake. And um, she makes a pretty bold decision, too, at the end of the yes. movie. Um, which I'm sure we'll get to when we get to the endings, but I like the changes they made with her, and I just like how strong uh, her character is. In the yeah, she's definitely strong. Like, uh, like when she interacts with Max, it's it's briefly early in the film, but like, right. get the hell out of here! Like, <laughs> right. like she's not afraid of him um, the way that uh, you would kind of think she might be, and uh, right. it was it is interesting to make her a stronger character, um, and it's it's a good thing to like kind of show kind of more modern uh, relationship and in the struggles of like someone who's trying to make their own career, who has like a high kind of powered husband and like that dynamic played out very well. And I think um, the angst from 
their sort of uh, the, them butting heads, like the, the husband and wife, has clear sort of psychological effects on their daughter. Right. And I think it leads to probably one of our biggest, I would say the daughter is the biggest change mm -hmm. between the two films, just yeah. how they're both portrayed. So kind of getting into that, um, Lori Martin's Nancy Bowden, is, for, nothing else to say about it. She's a child. Yeah. <laughs> she is a young child. It's very clear. She's like a little girl. Even though she's a teenager, she she still reads like young, right? She's and, very small. Like she's like mm -hmm. I don't know, like two feet smaller than uh, Gregory Peck when she's like standing next to him. She looks very tiny. She looks yeah, she looks like a little girl. Yeah, and she acts like a little girl, right? Like uh, she's not aware of all the like the trials and turmoils of the world, right? Like she's just like just living her life innocently. Um, right. She gets a pretty strong scene where uh, you know when she interacts with Max Katie in the school and has to like kind of mm -hmm. run away and uh she thinks he's in the building and it turns out somebody else and then she runs into him gets hit by a car <laughs> that was, <laughs> that <was crazy>. randomly <laughs> just like in uh <laughs> just like in superfly <laughs> randomly yeah yeah like like fat eddie <laughs> <laughs> again being like a small child basically in a portrayal right. you don't get a lot out of her other than being a victim juliette lewis a lot of work in the acting department from uh from her Danielle Bowden. A lot yeah. of work. She starts the movie. Yeah, she does. She she's reading this uh kind of diatribe. Um at the beginning, it's like, you know, our only fear about the cape is that it's made and like it's a very interesting portrayal. Uh it kind of gives you like the MTV kind of era team vibe, you know, like <laughs> grew up watching music videos, she closes her door and like tries yeah. to shut the world out. She definitely listens to Nirvana <laughs> and prove that, but uh, she definitely does. And making her a little bit older, she's at this age where um, she is vulnerable in the sense that like, she's coming into her own as a woman. Mm -hmm. And um, because of her relationship with her father and stuff like that, like it's not really going well at home. Mm -hmm. She's looking for escapism. She's looking for safety net outside the home. And it allows this sort of like villain to infiltrate her right. mind. Um, and I think that like, again, that's a really strong portrayal. Like how do terrible people like this mm -hmm. kind of succeed at their crimes? And it's like, there it is. Like they, they pick on the vulnerable and uh, right. she plays that very well. Yeah. Not really a broken home, but there's a lot of fighting. There's a lot of instances of like Nick Nolte coming out and being like, "It's okay, it's okay, nothing's happening." And then, like you said, she'll run to her room, listen to some Jane's Addiction or whatever. She's like, she's listening to Guns and Roses while watching Jane's Addiction. That's what she does in yeah. this movie. Uh, sure, why not? It's the '90s. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of uh, instances of life at home is not so great. Um, we get a little bit of her backstory. It's actually summer and she's going to summer school and her parents kind of punished her because they caught her smoking some weed. Right. And the parents even, uh, recognize like, Hey, we just, just a little bit of grass. We did it back in the day. And it's like, yeah, we smoke milk. <laughs> yeah they keep punishing her. And then he's like, uh, or Max Katie, I should say, he's able to, you know, recognize the vulnerability in her and, and able to, make a connection with her because she's she's seeking it so much because she can't connect with her parents anymore right? right she's she's feeling completely isolated from them and then the stuff he's saying is kind of making a little bit of sense to her he's yeah. able to find that connection and then you get this 
it's an interesting <laughs> dynamic where it's, okay, we'll get to that, see, <laughs> we'll get to that, but you are getting this interesting dynamic where it's like, well, is she gonna go with Max in the end? Is she, right. is she in favor of this new guy that's supposedly terror, terrorizing the family? Because she seems really, really into it. Um, I don't know if we want to go over the scene in the theater right now. A little bit. Like, um, Max is very well read, right? Like, we know that about this character. He's very well read. And he's kind of playing off of, like, the fact, because, look, he's been stalking them. He kind of understands their psychology. And he's, like, you know, playing into that teenage angst, playing into that, um, that sort of age of discovery. He's, like, giving her books and stuff like that, giving her reading. And, like, they have this strange connection. Um, do we want to talk about the theater scene? I don't know. I mean, we could. It's part of the character. It's a scene yeah. that's different because in the original, we get the chase scene that you had mentioned. Mm-hmm. And they were originally going to do that in the remake. But then they kind of improvised and they they did what we saw in the movie. Interesting. Ugh. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, what we see in the movie is that, like, after another bout, like, when uh, the wife finds out about the infidelity, um, they have a fight. Um, Matt's Katie, who was pretending to be this drama teacher, was already kind of brought up uh, by Nolte's character. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, why they got this young guy? Uh, you know, like he's worried that uh, she's more into boys and perhaps even like actual men. And um, Katie's able to like convince her that he is like a teacher, lure her into this theater, and they have like this, like you mentioned, that's improvising. Fucking, that's some that's some acting right there. Like, <laughs> Like, just their interaction is so, like, wrong, <laughs> <laughs> but but very believable. Like, he, he sticks her, his thumb right. in her mouth. <laughs> He's giving her reading. She's, like, she's incredible in this scene, by the way. Like, just, mm-hmm. I believe that this is a young woman that is falling in love with uh, <laughs> a, a psychotic <laughs> villain. And, um... Again, it's just the strength of this remake is that, like, we can take this character and let her play both sides of that equation versus the original film where it's like, you're just 13 or 14, whatever. Like, you're a little kid. Sometimes you hang out on the boat. You like your family dog. I don't know anything about you. You probably watch cartoons still. Mm -hmm. This girl wants to be an adult, but she also, I don't know, she she needs some figure in her life, and her father's not, not providing that for her. And I don't think that maybe because of how well-read she is, she probably thinks of herself as more mature and maybe boys her age aren't doing it for her either. Mm-hmm. It's not really like laid out, but it feels like that's kind of what he's playing off of. And it, it's a very effective scene. Uh, creeps me out though. Yeah, super creepy. Uh, having her suck the thumb and then they make out a little bit. It's, it's like, yeah. whoa, man. <laughs> I didn't see any of that stuff coming. Um, but you know, works with the character um you're saying this guy is in jail because uh he raped and battered a 16 year old girl well here he is kind of trying to do it again you know he's maybe he'll come across as like nice and charming in the beginning but like you know once he gets her alone or what you don't know how evil or vile he can get so it works with the character as creepy a scene as it is and it's not as creepy as if it like happened in the original because Juliet Lewis is older, like she's right. 16, 17, but she's still like more mature looking, certainly, sure. than um, the original 
Nancy, who would definitely look like that's a little girl. And having Max threaten to rape her was just like, what the fuck? Like, that's yeah. all, that's, <laughs> that's just really creepy because she looked like a little tiny girl. And it's like, you're threatening the mom saying you want to rape her. And it's like, yeah. Ooh, to make yeah. her a little bit older, um, as creepy it is, it, it is to still seeing her suck the thumb and everything. Um, definitely a good choice to just make her look a little more like a woman yeah. as opposed to yeah. a little girl. So I forget the exact line uh, Mitchum's character says, but he's like, it's basically like she's starting more or less like she's starting to feel out like her mother. And it's like, oh man, like, come on, bro. <laughs> <laughs> like that was his yeah. that was his thumb scene that was his creep <laughs> having her be older too uh she plays a real factor in the, the final fight and, right um, yeah there's just so much more that you can do with this character mm-hmm. than what you could do with the uh the younger kind of um uh laurie martin's nancy Bowden. like juliette lewis just i don't know she's uh can't say enough she's phenomenal in the movie like uh, yeah uh, quite the upgrade yeah are both these females um jessica lang and julia lewis they both are just very strong female performances they have more agency we keep, we always drop that word and they certainly do uh we see it in the ending and i just like how julia lewis's danny is just able to you know play that line like is she gonna join max or is she gonna go with her family like I, it's really blurred until um the murders happen in the house like <laughs> so right. Like she, after that point, she was still like taking those books in, like mm-hmm. even like the whole thing, like her dad was supposed to be faking that he was in this trial and then we're going to lure him here so we can kill him. She's still like, yeah, I, I kind of like this guy and uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't really think he's bad. I think my dad's full of shit and yeah. it, she plays it really well. She was nominated for an Oscar. It's her only role she was ever nominated for an Oscar, Julia Lewis. Well, shit, I, I get that. Um, well deserved, honestly. Mm-hmm. And like you said, like her dad being flawed that the way that he is, kind of a shithead. So like when uh, it's clear De Niro's been there, he left the book uh, Sexus, you know, Texas, yeah. Nexus, and Sexus. He, he left the, <laughs> the sex one. Um, and like she's like, oh, and like hides it under her like mm-hmm. uh, sweater and stuff like that. It's just like, yeah, she's into this guy. Um, too many people are into this guy, and uh, she's one of them. And that very fact messes with Nick Nolte's character as well. Like. He can't control her feelings and like mm-hmm. his attempts to try to like take a hold of the situation right. don't work. Like it's just like no. smoking pot, right? Like you yelling at her isn't solving right. anything. Um, when he finds out that she has this connection with him, and she again kind of starts shaking her and stuff like that. It's like, right. yeah. hey man, that's making it worse. Like she's just mm-hmm. gonna withdraw more. And it's it's a great dynamic and uh Honestly, huge upgrade in the wife and daughter department in this remake, and it and it plays well into this uh, this adaptation of the story that they're telling. Yeah, because I just want to add to that scene, like when he finds out, like she's maybe like he's trying to find out, like did he touch you? Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's confronting her, and when she's in her underwear too, it's a really yeah. <laughs> weird scene. Um, so he's like, did he touch you? And she's like not saying anything. She starts to smirk. And he's like, don't you laugh? And he just grabs her face and like kind of mushes it. And it's just yeah. like, dude, man, like you're showing her nothing but like violence and like yeah. just aggression. And then De Niro's showing her nothing but like, you know, compassion. It's like, of course she's gonna fucking run to this other guy and hate yep. you. Just yep. makes complete sense. So um, yeah, it's just a really interesting 
uh, way to spin that character. It's almost like an additional storyline, like the battle for the daughter. Who's mm-hmm. going to win? Is it going to be Max or Sam? So it was a really great addition to the remake. Yeah. And even, like you mentioned, with, like some of the ambiguity towards him, sort of tone the line. Did he really? Like, who won that battle? <laughs> like, that's, yeah. that's yeah, kind of a, an open question, you know? Very, very great portrayal. And like I said, I didn't know that she got nominated for the Oscar either, but like you telling me that makes perfect sense. Uh, she was mm-hmm. fantastic in the, in the movie. There's there's a lot of ways we can kind of navigate sort of this next. I think we should talk about the private detective. But I do want to get into sort of like our um, mid movie victims, but uh, mm-hmm. I think it's important to know about the private detectives in this case. Okay, yeah. And the 1962 film, Terry Savalas plays Charlie Seavers. Charlie Savalas. And um, in the 1991 film, Joe Don Baker is Claude Kersick. My pop was a cop. 20 years. It's his favorite drink. Who is a very interesting character. (laughs) So the Charlie Seavers character, I don't really have much on him, but I do have a lot on sort of how we get to that point. He's not really that important right like uh the way that i think that um the way that i think that joe don baker's character is but mm-hmm. the circumstances of how we get to charlie Seavers, i think are pretty important okay. like um gregory peck like i mentioned really does play the kind of influential uh the councilman everyone in town respects him and like he's able to just use that music hey, there's a guy in town who's bothering me go pick him up <laughs> like you're like yes sir <laughs> <laughs> But they're like, we have ways to get people like this. It's not hanging around town. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was watching it, uh, the the time period did uh, come into factor for me. It's like, oh, you can't mess with this nice white guy in 1962. <laughs> like, like I, I was like, why don't they just shoot him? Like, what are they gonna do? <laughs> he matters and he doesn't. Um, and it just like all the steps that police take before we get to the private detective are like far more intricate than what we get for Nick Nolte's character. Like, yeah, they're, they're picking a the guy up. They're yeah. calling him a vagrant, a hobo. He got kicked out of multiple. Excuse me, Matt Katie gets kicked out of multiple houses because of Gregory Peck. And um, at, at a certain point, the cops are like, yeah, we can keep this up forever. <laughs> <laughs> and the lawyer's like, no, you can't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They introduce a lawyer character who's like a civil rights kind of lawyer and um, and is able to basically back the cops out. And they're like, if you keep harassing this guy, we're taking you to, to court. And they're like, well, I guess that's it. <laughs> Sam, we did the best we could with our uh, 60s justice. Uh, you're going to have to. But we're not done helping you. Here's another tip. Check out this Charlie Seavers guy. <laughs> so, honestly, like, Seavers is a pretty straightforward right. uh, PI. Like, I mean, he's really there to say, I've got some information and maybe you should, like, hire some guys to, like, beat him up. Again, really, what matters for him is how we get to the fact that he even shows up in the film versus this 1991 film where um, <laughs> they really lean into this Joe Don Baker as. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. <laughs> Jim Beam and Pepto Bismol. Drink of choice. Hell yeah. <laughs> what's, what's your kind of early read on uh, on Baker's uh, cursing? I mean, he's he's a PI, and he'll 
kind of do whatever it takes to get your money. <laughs> like, you want some guys to beat him up? You want me to hire me? And we can stage this kind of thing. And, you know, if he's on your property, I could shoot him, kill him for you. You know, yeah. so he's uh, on that tightrope. Like, is this legal? Is this illegal? But, but yeah. like, I think we could spin it in a way where it is legal and just make sure if you hire these guys that we don't know it's you and all this stuff. So, um, He's, he's a character, man. And, uh, <laughs> I just, I don't know. I, I, I love the teddy bear. The teddy yeah, bear yeah. thing, that is so that great. That teddy bear moves half an inch. Yeah. <laughs> that captured my imagination so much when I was a kid. Like, oh my God, they tied the fishing line to a teddy bear. And it's going to, he's just going to sit there and watch it. That's, that's intense, man. Like just yeah. the idea of just sitting and watching a teddy bear all night. is just like blew my fucking mind as a kid. Um, so he's he's a character, man. And, he's sitting there, he's uh, kind of like just got the gun and just yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> and you're right, like his his level of like commitment to this job is yeah. Like honestly, what it is is he, he former cop, basically more or less gone rogue, but like he's still within the the bounds of the legal system himself, right. and he's just like yeah, I could hire some guys to beat him up. I could uh, you know. <laughs> Like he's the type of guy that plant evidence. He'll he'll sell you a gun. He'll teach you how to use a gun. Yeah. He's like, honestly, you're probably not even built for this. I'll shoot him. <laughs> <laughs> and just like the idea of this guy who's just like slugging back Jim Beam and Pepto Bismol because his dad liked to drink that too. It's like, what's that story? <laughs> <laughs> and the guy's just taking a couple of belts of that and he's just sitting there like you mentioned all night with this teddy bear. I'm like, this guy is is nuts. Um, yeah, and what's great about him because they build up this private detective so much that when uh, ultimately he has uh, uh, things happen to him, it's like, well, shit, if that guy isn't going to make it, <laughs> Big Nolte has no shot. <laughs> so he's a uh, he's this great sort of ancillary character that becomes fairly important and um, mm -hmm. and really uh, is a stakes maker type character, right? Like. Right. Uh, you come to this guy, now we're at the point where mm -hmm. we're hiring guys. Now we're at the point where we're shooting guys. Now we're at the point where, you know, we're, we're in fist fights. Um, he, he just really does a good job of taking this from um, uh, a pretty kind of like straightforward stalking situation to like, all right, we're going into vigilante justice. And I think it plays <laughs> really well. Um, Sievers occupies a similar kind of space but just not even remotely close like yeah he's not really as he's definitely not as memorable as joe don baker i mean he's he's important for sure because he does lure katie out um at the end of the movie and you know it sets events in motion but just when it comes to like a memorable character who's just like off the fucking walls that's joe don baker that's such a good portrayal yeah, yeah. Honestly, uh, you can tell with this one that like Scorsese just let a lot of people just go, right? Yeah. Like, you, you mentioned that improv line, and like, there is no way that De Niro was on script for like, <laughs> <laughs> like at least a good thirty percent of this movie. Like, just the portrayals are so over the top. De Niro with the slick back hair, 
in the, the crazy Georgia accent, Joe Don mm-hmm. Baker, uh, you know, chasing the wire up the <laughs> to the door. It's just such a great portrayal. And um, I don't want to get into the ending just right. yet, but like he's critical <laughs> yes. for it. And, you know, again, uh, a, like I said, a states maker type character and uh, both of these detectives help kind of introduce um, another high stakes scene in the films, like I mentioned before, victimized women. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to bring up <clears throat> sure. Barry Chase, who plays Diane Taylor. Elena Douglas, who plays Lori Davis. I'm by the guys that I see cross-examining the people on the stand. Just crucify them and just laugh about it later. Who's the law clerk in sort of Nick Nolte's right. um, pseudo, maybe, lover in the film. Diane Taylor is more of like this sort of kind of like barfly character. Mm-hmm. She's a single woman in a small town. Um, attractive, clearly like uh, mm-hmm. she's not like tied to any one really like any man or anything like that so it's like kind of puts her on the fringes right like if you're not like a housewife then you're sort of (laughs) you know there's only a few spaces for women to operate in this time frame and be reputable so she's certainly not a bad person but she's sort of adrift and that makes it easy for her to be a victim um Mm -hmm. uh, for max Caden versus Alana Douglas, who is a professional, um, younger, but like she is in this sort of flirtation with her uh, employer, Nick Nolte. And what elevates her status as a victim in this film is that she has this connection. Like clearly like Katie is targeting her because he knows it's gonna hit uh, Sam Bowden where it hurts. And just the kind of depravity to like victimize a woman just to (laughs) kind of make somebody else Feel bad is like next level. Yeah, they that connection that she has with Sam, you know, it was a smart choice. It's like that's the reason she's gonna get attacked because Katie wants to hurt Sam, so he's gonna go after this, you know, like you said, like this potential love interest or that he wants to have. And because she works within the legal system, he knows that she won't even testify or do anything against him because just what it means to be seen by her coworkers like that. Like she doesn't want to be put in that situation. She knows Sam wouldn't put her in that situation. And then also there's like that worry about like, you know, your wife doesn't even know about me. And then if I had to testify, they would know about you, Sam. So there's a lot of reasons for her to not testify against Max. And you think it's like, well, why wouldn't you testify against that? It kind of makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's, it's not a, well, that's stupid. That's a stupid reason for her not to testify. Uh, I think, you know, in the context of everything that was happening with her character and her relationship with Sam, I think they did a pretty good job of, you know, putting that fear into like, oh, I don't, I just can't testify. Just, uh, just what, what will happen, what this means for you and me and for everybody we work with. And, you know, having her have that connection with Sam, obviously is a good reason for her to be attacked as opposed to... Diane, who doesn't have any affiliation with Sam at all, and is kind of just a random victim yeah. of Max at the end of the day. And I, I got to say, though, I do like how he picked her up at the bar because uh, he's he's at the bar. He's the cops are taking him to question him, and then he's like, he's like, hold on a second. 
He's like, I'll be back in an hour. Lose these guys if you want to be with me. Yeah. It's, it's pretty smooth line. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and then we eventually see him with her later, and we're like, oh, wow, look at this. Um, what's happening here? And then all of a sudden, he just kind of just sides while she's sleeping. He just has this menacing look about him, and he's like, I'm going to beat you. It's like, what the fuck? It's like totally unprovoked. Yeah. There's no reason for it. And it just, it kind of comes out of nowhere, but it plays into just how villainous his character can be. Like, right. this is who he is. This is what he does to women. It doesn't matter who you are. You, I don't need to, you to have a connection to the guy I'm having revenge with. I'm just going to do this because this is what I do and I need to do this. Right. And right. it just really, like anybody could be a victim of Max Cady in that original film. But in the remake, it's really just focused on people around Sam. So um, I, while I like the connection in the remake, it's still pretty intense because it is kind of a random woman in the original film. It's effective in the original because it's, uh, it's like a pattern thing. You know, like th this is this guy's deal, right. right? Like, sure, you could certainly have just like a consensual relationship with this woman. Like, yeah. that's not really what it's about for him. He, like... Mm -hmm has this uh this monster in him right like this is what it's what he does you know and it's the point in the movie where we realize especially in this original film we're like oh this guy's serious like yep. um <laughs> you know we're not just kind of like shuffling to the police station to have small talks anymore we're not uh did i did i not with the dog like oh we're at the point where like i see what sam bowden's been saying this whole time mm -hmm. and um he picked his victim knowing that, like, what's she gonna do? Like, there's no recourse for a woman in that time frame who mm -hmm. isn't involved in something like that. What I like about this sort of original is that we see that, uh, because she doesn't have that sort of recourse, and she just skips town, which uh happens to the other character too. But like, it, it really does help frame um the conversation that Sam has with his wife because, like, look, he goes after our daughter, you know what happens in these situations. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to go on the stand. You're going to have to go over details. You're going to have to do all this stuff. And the movie does a really good job of just saying, that, like, we can't let this Max Katie character win because there's not, again, this idea of, like, the law isn't really on our side, even though I'm a lawyer. Like, I know how the law works. And you get that from two separate conversations in this original movie, mm -hmm. which is like, hey, why won't you testify? And she's like, you know why I can't testify. And then putting it into a personal standpoint of his own daughter, it's like, could you imagine putting a 14 year old on a stand mm -hmm. to recount something like that? And what makes the remake version of it work is uh, you get all that in one conversation <laughs> because she's like, I'm a law clerk. I know what we do to women that, uh, mm -hmm have these problems uh, is basically what they wanted Sam Bowden to do to uh, the victim in 14 years ago. She's like, I'm not doing it. I'm, I'm skipping town. And I, I don't know, like both, both are so effective. Uh, mm. As weird as it sounds, I slightly prefer the original because like the ambiguity, the remake, um, yes, there's that connection, but like, this is gonna sound weird. It starts getting into this like horror film like level for me right like the original gets like very psychological in its thriller this remake the same thing but like Max Katie's starting to kind of get into like you know like Freddy and Jason <laughs> mode <laughs> from his scene because just like biting somebody's face like off face <laughs> off uh, that's pretty intense yeah I think 
the original what they do is you know they show that like just what monster max katie is like it doesn't matter who who his victim is he's he's gonna keep doing this like in the remake he goes after laurie because of the connection with sam so you know it's a very revenge driven his attacks but the max in the original he doesn't need revenge this is like you said he's just a monster yeah. And it really just demonstrates it really well by finding just a random, random victim in the middle yeah. of all of this. And he knew, like you said, he knew she couldn't do anything about it. So he just makes him so much more worse because he's just going to keep doing this. And even after he gets his revenge against Sam, he will not stop. And it just makes him seem a lot more threatening as mm-hmm. opposed to the Max Katie who's like, well, I need to find all the people who have a connection with this guy because this is a revenge plot for me. Yeah, yeah, it's like, as monstrous as he is, the scope is, uh, it seems to be more kind of like focused. Yeah. Um, I'm not, like you mentioned, I'm not really thinking about his kind of future or really his past endeavors. I'm really concerned about this specific family. Whereas like this Max Katie, like, regard, like you mentioned, whatever happens, like he's going to keep doing this. Um, and I think that that does actually flavor kind of how the movies choose to, um, you know, kind of end things. I don't have a, a lot of other like really notable characters. Uh, I did want to kind of point out that Gregory Peck and Robert Mitchum make appearances in this. Uh, and Martin Balsam. Oh yeah, and Balsam. Yeah, all three of them from the original film. Balsam was the he was Dutton in the original, and then he was the judge in the remake. Yeah, he plays uh, that judge role really well. Um, Mitchum coming back as like the lieutenant who's like, I can't help you, Sam. And the star of the show, Gregory Peck, (laughs) just outlandish Southern lawyer. (laughs) Yeah, nice white suit. (laughs) Lee Heller. Your Honor, this is a great injustice that has befallen my client. (laughs) I love how like campy he went in that scene. I think it was completely unnecessary (laughs) just to have a. just to basically have a restraining order go kind of the opposite way, but right. like, I love the cameo. <laughs> yeah, it's great. And um, in the original film, Gregory Peck and Robert Mitchum didn't get along at all. So that's why they didn't have any scenes together in the remake. <laughs> really? Wow. They, they did not like each other. Hmm. That's interesting. Good, good to know, but they work so well together. I mean, when one's a hero and one's a villain, yeah. yeah <laughs> two, having two people not like each other works pretty well. That's, that's very fair. And uh, really, the only other character that uh, I wanted to mention, uh, honorable mention, uh, Zuli Montero's Graciela. That's a raw deal. You're in the movie for like five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Teaches a little bit of Spanish to uh, Danny, but uh, doesn't really get much to do. Yeah. Other than yeah. That. It's kind of like a fridging <laughs> kind of thing from comic books. It's like, oh, we introduced this character just to have him brutalized. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. <laughs> so that's ultimately our main characters um mm-hmm. you know we've really hit the theme of the sort of quiet subtle katie in the original who is willing to do violence to pretty much anybody but has like has it out for sam Bowden for kind of dubious reasons versus like this remake which is a hyper focused hyper violent max katie and a flawed sam Bowden, and because of that and because the age of age and careers of when his wife, the career of his wife and the age of his daughter, we get a totally different kind of setup for a final gambit. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it time to start talking about the ending? 
yeah i mean i don't have anything else to say about the characters and the endings are very different so. very different let's start with the original because i think <laughs> okay that'll be yeah. easier to, <laughs> to manage so we have this sort of uh victim that we mentioned diane taylor in the original and after that happens sam Bowden is like he's kind of over it right like <laughs> um he hires the three guys to try to take katie out and katie overpowers him and uh a pretty for the time decent fight for the 60s it wasn't like <laughs> it wasn't like super fly cheesy that <laughs> yeah it wasn't uh frank sinatra and manchurian candidate cheesy <laughs> oh my god <laughs> the karate chops and you know we had that and then after his daughter gets hit by the car you know he starts to take the, um, the gun and he's like I'm gonna go after this guy and he wisely chooses to sort of play his, his cards different but I thought what's interesting about this original is that like again how like hand in glove he was with the police they're like this isn't working guys and they're like I got it. <laughs> you know, they can't explicitly help him with his plan, but they're certainly willing to like call other departments and be like, hey, help out our buddy Sam Bowden because he's got a, a vagrant problem and he wants to murder him. So Sam gets this brilliant idea of like, look, this Katie guy's too good. He's never going to um, let down his guard in town. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to pretend like I'm flying to Atlanta and then I'm going to get on a boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it gets a little muddy for me, too. Because um, he had to go to Atlanta. Let's just backtrack a little bit. He had to go to Atlanta because he was going to get disbarred, right? Because the assault on Katie was pinned on him. And then when he... Remake, right? I, I know he was going to get disbarred anyway in the original. I don't know if it was exactly from the beating, but I know he goes into court one day and he has to hand off this case to his partner. And the, another lawyer goes up to him and is like, I'm going to have you disbarred. So I know there is some type of disbarring trying mm -hmm. to happen. I don't remember if it's exactly under the same circumstances as in the remake, but he does have to go fly away um, if he wants to keep his job and be a lawyer still. So I think it's the same pretty much reasons in yeah. both movies. Yeah, and you get the similar outcome, right? Which is like, I have to get on the plane. I have to, to do all this. So uh, Sam Bowden gets on this plane, but like his, his plan in this situation is, once I get there, I'm gonna basically take a boat up river to uh, Cape Fear. And he's using his family's bait <laughs> so yeah. that, uh, you know, Katie will go after him. And, you know, it's the exact same setup. Katie makes sure that he gets on the plane. He's like, I got a file and he has to go to the fancy lawyer. When's he coming back? And he's like, he's not coming back until Thursday. It is muddy and I'm going to try to get us there. <laughs> cleanly. It's really muddy for me because like Kate, at, before he goes on the plane, he already brought his family to that boathouse in Cape Fear. And it's like, now I got to go on the plane by myself and then, you know, take the boat there. It's like, but Katie doesn't know that the family's there. So like he wasn't following them when they originally went to the boathouse, right. I guess. I don't know. It's, it, it's, it's not clean. Cause like apparently Katie's following them the whole time, but this one time when he took them to the boathouse, he wasn't following them the whole time. So that's just where it's a little muddy for me. Yeah. That part is muddy. And like this idea of like, I'm on the plane, land, I'm going to take the boat back. Yeah. I'm going to work with the, the uh, like deputies from another town. Um, 
that part is super strange and money. And I think that uh, the remake probably cleans that up a little bit. But basically, you know, he gets there, he stakes out Katie, and they're like all in like the, the marshes. They're just kind of like <laughs> basically waiting in uh, these river waters to see what happens. And wouldn't you know it, just like in all these movies where <laughs> someone screws up a stakeout, we've had it in some of our westerns, I think, like a True Grit type film. We've had it in Insomnia. You know, yeah, guy definitely Insomnia. <laughs> guy drops a mug. And we got it right here. This dummy slaps himself in the face because of fire <laughs> there. And then he gets the old MMA fucking choke out <laughs> and drown. And um, yeah, the plan's not going well for Sam Bowden. Like, his whole idea is like, I'm going to sneak this guy out. When he gets into the act, I'm going to kill him. Well, because the stakeout doesn't go so well, the guy gets killed. Katie gets on the boat, goes after um, Sam's wife. And Sam has to, like, go and try to, like, basically save his wife um, from, like, being brutalized. Um, like I said, Katie, Katie goes after her, um, says what he's planning to do, more or less. And when Sam Bowden shows up to kind of save the day, she's like, no, he's going after her. It was a distraction. And now he, it, it's so muddy, bro. Yeah. I'm really trying to work through this. But like, and then Sam Bowden has to now try to save his, his teenage daughter because the wife, uh, excuse my coarse language, the wife rape was just a distraction. <laughs> this guy really wants to go after the teenage daughter. So now he's got to scramble back. She, I, I don't know. He does get to her in time. She's able to run away, and then they have this like kind of drawn out fight in the woods with the uh, with the piece of the uh, the dock with a nail hanging out or whatever the hell. Mm -hmm. it, it was really confusing. Um, they fist fought. Gregory Peck pretended like he was choked to death, but he wasn't really choked to death. Mm -hmm. Came back, hit Katie with a rock, and uh, overcame him and let him live. It was like. I'm not going to kill you because he, Jesus Christ, there was a gun. There was a gun. <laughs> there was a gun. Sorry, everyone. This is confusing. There was a gun, so he did get the gun back. He's got the gun on Max Katie, who's like, I'm not going to kill you like you want me to. I'm going to let you live, and you're going to live the rest of your days in a cell. So, mm -hmm. you know, he's not really just going for revenge. He wants to do this because he's Atticus Finch. He wants to do this legally. He wants to make sure that, like, um, He's not going outside the bounds of the law. He wants Max Katie to face justice in the courts. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's effective in him doing so. And at the end, his family all gets on the bug like, Jesus, that was rough. <laughs> and the movie kind of ends. Uh, apologies for how money that got, because that was, that was a confusing kind of... Uh, there's way too many steps. Yeah, there's a lot of different steps there. And it, it keeps going back and forth between the mother, the daughter, the father. It's, yeah, it is very confusing. Um, you pretty much got it, though. <laughs> uh, I, I appreciate you saying that because I feel like it's <laughs> all over the place. Yeah, so I, I guess I just want to touch on a few things, uh, just a few details during that. Like, again, just talking about the um, how brutal max katie could be um when he's alone on the boat with the mother it's really fucked up yeah. uh he's talking about 
because you had mentioned before, um, like if the daughter gets raped, like she, we can't put her through that. We can't make her testify. And the mom's like, well, if you rape me, I am going to testify. You can't silence me. Like you can silence other women. He's like, well, it's not going to be rape because I'm going to have consent. And he's going on this long speech about oh, how, yeah. like, if you don't let me, if you don't give me consent, like I'm going to pretty much rape your daughter. Right. And it's like, it's like really fucked up. Maybe next week, maybe next month. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, dude. Yeah, seriously. And, like, again, this daughter is, like, a little girl. She looks like fucking, like, she's, like, she's maybe 13, but she looks like she's, like, could be She looks like she's nine years old. Yeah, she looks super young, and it's just, like, so creepy, like, how rapey he gets over her, which is, you know, that's a a villain. That's definitely a villain. That's a villain. (laughs) You can't say anything else other than that. And then, like, (laughs) Max Katie just has this knack for, like, leaving immediately as soon as like somebody else is there to like stop him from doing a crime like i'm gonna get you katie it's like well he's not even here like that happened with um that happened with diane like the cop there were two cops outside when they heard diane getting attacked and then they come in and he's already gone it's happening now with the wife she was getting attacked uh thrown around um nothing apparently happened and uh everybody's there just a little a second too late every time max katie Mm -hmm. attacks but yeah, I just wanted to talk about that scene with the with the wife because that was just like evil, man. <laughs> the way he's describing, like I'm gonna get it one way or the other, and it doesn't really matter. And that's that was fucking intense. Yeah, that's the strength of this portrayal of Katie. He's just so casual yeah. about. It. Yeah, he's just so casual about. It. It's like, yeah, well, you know, you do it your way, but doesn't matter. Like I'm gonna, <laughs> this is going to happen. It's just like wow, like he. Like the only way for this to end is for him to be stopped somehow. Mm-hmm. And um, what both films do well, and I guess what the original novel do so well is like it's personal. Like it's this guy's family, it's this guy's daughter, and like this this villain is so calculating that like he'll make you go on the houseboat to try to like save your wife just so he can slide back into the cabin to go after your daughter. And it's just like, whoa, man, that yeah. is that's a lot. Yeah, he doesn't kill him at the end. He does say, like, I, I don't want you to take the easy way out. I'd rather you just rot in a cell. Which yeah. I thought, you know, that fit that fit the character. It made sense. Um, he'd been this, like you, we've said, this noble Atticus Finch-like character. So for him to not pull that trigger at the very end and just decide to let the law take, take control and, you know, deal with you there, that made sense. So I was fine with that part of it but like it just yeah the going back and forth and like exactly what happened it, it does right. it drags on a little bit and it can be a little bit confusing in that original film it's dark man it's a dark yeah, it's portrayal great. and what does work here is that because yes katie is like pretty strong and he was able to fight all three guys like it's plausible that um sam Bowden could win this fight it's plausible that he could win this fight in this film and you know through a little bit of luck, he was able to kind of gut it out and um, and get the win over this guy. And I I think that like I like this idea of Sam sort of continuing this Atticus Finch Superman portrayal of just mm-hmm. like the time for shooting is over. Like you're going mm-hmm. to jail and you're going to sit there for a while. And um, a major difference between the original and the remake is that like it's clean enough that you're going to believe that uh, that the law is on his side. Mm-hmm. The remake does not leave a lot of opening for this to like end well. It's a much more muddy, rough scenario that they found themselves in, and uh, I found that to be interesting. 
going into the remake. I could start it. Yeah. If you want. No, thanks. Okay. So I think we should start um, when they're using the family as bait. Pretty much the same point. So, like we said, uh, Sam has to go to testify, or else he's going to get disbarred. So a good old private detective. Claude Kursik. Kursik comes up with the idea. He's like, so you have to be in this trial? He's like, yeah, if I want to keep my job. He's like, but Katie doesn't have to be there. No, no, he's not going to be there. He's like, well, I got an idea. So then all the whole family takes a nice trip to the airport. Um, Katie sees Sam on an airplane. Airplane takes off. Like you said, he gets the information. He'll be back in a couple days. And then we get back to the house and we see that Sam didn't get on the plane. So that was cleaner <laughs> than the original for right. sure that he just faked getting on the plane and he was just um gonna hide in the house him and uh Kursik are now just in the house just hiding making sure they don't go in front of any windows oh by the way i love how many times uh nick nolte's character has to go up to the windows and rapidly close them yes, <laughs> just... yes. so many times do we see that, that shot in this quite a bit <laughs> anyway so they're in the house um the mother and daughter are just pretending like He's not there, just trying to get lure Katie. This is when the detective sets up the teddy bear and the fishing line at night, um, which is great. And then also at this point, Graciela is coming to the house just to, you know, just to do her job. And then she's told she has to stay over because that's what would happen when Sam's away. So pretty much doing everything to try to just lure Katie there. And then one night when uh, Kursik is watching the bear, all of a sudden, well, twitch, a little twitch happens. So we got to see where that fishing line leads to. And why don't you know, it's just the wind. And he just locks it, has a laugh to himself, decides to go in the kitchen, has his drink of choice. Uh, what was the bourbon and the Pepto? Jim Beam and Pepto-Bismol. Jim Beam and Pepto-Bismol. So he's in there drinking his Jim Bean and Pepto-Bismol, talking to Graciela, who's preparing food seemingly. But no, it's not Graciela. It's Katie. He's oh. wearing her clothes. And he's this got that piano wire. <laughs> <laughs> he's got that piano wire that was uh, lost before. And here's yeah. a little bit of trivia. The piano wire is a note. It was A, two octaves higher than middle C, just for all the music <laughs> doors out there. <laughs> anyway, so he gets strangled with piano wire. Uh, but he doesn't die from that because he tries to shoot Katie, I think, and accidentally yeah. shoots himself. Yeah. Is yeah. that, that's, that's what happened. Yeah, that's okay. what I saw. Yeah. <laughs> so he tries, but he can't, and he shoots himself. The gunshot wakes up the family. And instead of killing anybody in the family, he, Katie just runs off. And then you got two dead bodies now. And, uh, in part, it came, it looked a little hilarious to me when Nick Nolte runs over to Kursik's body and he just starts slipping in the blood. That part was ridiculous. Yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, didn't, it didn't work for me. It looked more comical than uh, scary or anything. And then he goes outside. He's got the gun. He just starts firing randomly. Yeah. It's like, where are you, Katie? It, and it was one of those things where, like, um, when I saw it, I was like, all right, well, don't touch the gun. Don't touch yeah. the gun wire. Definitely don't slip in the blood. And don't like <laughs> splash around the blood a little bit. Don't fire additional shots. Um, like, what are you doing? You're a lawyer. You yeah, this guy's a lawyer. You should know better. You gotta know way better. And it's like you've got a plausible reason why this guy is after you. Like, you've got a back and forth. Your prints aren't on anything in the mm -hmm. house, so it's like 
just call the cops. This is, this yeah. is kind of the outcome you wanted, right? Like, Katie did it, and okay, maybe you're going to struggle to prove it because of some of the other actions you took, but like, I don't know, like, slipping in the blood, shooting your gun, and <laughs> going on the run is like, probably not the right answer. There's definitely a different way the movie could have went after the murders, like you said. Um, there might not be like some obvious evidence, but I'm sure like maybe he dropped like some hair. He's got a lot of hair, you know. Yeah. One of his hairs could have fallen out. Do a little evidence sweep of the house. He could have found some evidence that Max Key was in the house. That's enough, I feel. He was wearing Graciela's clothes and then put them back on her, like yeah, yeah. So yeah, he did put them back on her. That's weird. Yeah, unless there was right? just a yeah. spare pair. When do you have time to do that? <laughs> So anyways, yeah, so there are two dead bodies in your house, and it makes sense at this point, like, oh, let's just call the police, and then they'll take care of us, and they'll take care of Katie. Nope. What they decide to do <laughs> is let's get the fuck out of the house, let's go to our houseboat at Cape Fear, and we'll call the police as we're fleeing the scene of a crime, which they acknowledge in the movie that they look like number one suspect because they are fleeing the scene of a crime. If two people are murdered in your house and you didn't do it, do not flee the scene yeah. of the crime. Yeah, especially if you now have Nick Nolte's foot, hand, and back <laughs> in the blood. Uh, his bloody hands on a murder weapon yeah. and uh, additional shots uh, randomly thrown. It, it, it's a bad look. It's bad yeah. lawyering. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't very smart, but at least it brings us to Cape Fear for our climax yeah. ending. We you did know? get there. <laughs> so we're finally at Cape Fear while we're getting to the boat, but they're not alone because Max Katie's under that car just holding on for that his was dear so life. Crazy. <laughs> De Niro said he wouldn't do that unless he could see a stuntman really do that. And apparently uh you can latch yourself onto a at least a car that's high enough off the ground, like their car was. That car was pretty rage, yeah. Yeah. Um so they get to Cape Fear, we get to the boat, uh, Mona, I believe is the name of the boat. And, uh, of course, De Niro's there as well. And, you know, ultimately, he shows himself. Um, I think he knocks out Sam first. He's able to yeah, tie him up. Ties him up. Yeah, and then he shows himself to the, the mother and daughter, goes after them. He puts Danny in, like, a holding thing. And then he gets very rapey with, with the mom. And he just stops for some reason, I guess, because he wanted to – do other stuff so he pulls sam in there and then he gets danny out and he's just like i'm gonna do all these horrible things and then and this is when jessica lang's character like you know she tries to take control of the situation i know about loss Max. i know about losing time even losing years she's like look max um you've you've suffered i've suffered too not quite like you i wasn't in prison but i've been suffering for years you've been suffering for years just just take me you know in an effort to save her daughter and, and her husband i guess just her family in general she's kind of offering herself up kind of as like a sacrificial lamb at this mm -hmm. point and it kind of works because he's like that's, that's some good words you said there because he, he's, he's all about it he's like maybe i don't need the daughter maybe you are just what i need and uh at some point he decides to light a cigar <laughs> because right. amidst all this and then that's when uh danny she had this lighter fluid she just whisked the lighter fluid on him and then man he lights up like a roman candle yes that's he that. does i'm gonna enjoy this all the more <laughs> That shit just all over him. And he's like fucking screaming, which is funny too, because earlier he demonstrated his tolerance for pain and heat because Danny had thrown 
boiling water in his face and he lit a flare and just let it melt onto his hand he's like prison makes you hard i can handle anything you can't handle lighter fluid and fire on your face so that shit shut him up immediately he jumps out of the boat i must say there's also a squall going on so the boat is going down the river on its own going to some rough terrain coming up so we need to control the boat um so at this point i think they untie sam they try to get control of the situation but then max katie gets back on the boat yep. and uh they just they just starts fighting everybody starts fighting he comes back and like uh max katie gets the upper hand of the situation again and now he's got this crazy burn marks on his face and stuff yep. like that um and you know being a pal like nick nolte's like hey man like hey man someone should be like you know <laughs> We're going into like uh, rough waters. Someone should be uh, guiding the boat. And Danny's like, "Oh, I could do it." And he's like, "Nah, no one's. You gotta <laughs> stay here because I'm. I'm not done being rapey. Um, <laughs> and I'm gonna make you watch." And I'm just like, "Wow, this is intense." And his his sick sick evil plan would probably work if he would let someone uh, <laughs> someone pilot the boat because um, yeah, they just like hit a squall. The boat starts rocking all over the place and like everyone's getting thrown around. Danny and Lee just make a jump for it. They're like, fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even care what part of the river we're in. We're jumping in. And uh, we get the, the Nick Nolte, um, Rob De Niro uh, super fight. It's what we've all been waiting for, I think. <laughs> it was such a strange fight, you know, from a parody standpoint, because like, Obviously, Nick Nolte doesn't beat um, Rob De Niro's character in a fair fight. Uh, not that a fight with Max Cady would ever be fair. <laughs> um, but, like, they have this whole back and forth, and, like, once once they're out in the river, right, when does Max Cady get um, his ankles shackled to the... Uh... Yeah, it's, it's during that fight. It's right before the, the boat hits the rocks. Mm-hmm. So, so it's like they're fighting in the boat, but like because the boat is in these rough waters, Max Hay gets thrown about a little bit, the gun yeah. gets dislodged, and Nick Nolte's able to kind of get the upper hand and actually strap this guy to the, uh, the actual uh, boat. So like the handcuffs that he was going to use on Nick Nolte are now being used on Max Katie. Boat hits rocks, the rocks takes them ashore, uh, Nick Nolte, rightfully so, was pretty pissed. <laughs> and like a rock fight at that point, which yeah. I wasn't expecting um, two guys to like take large stones and hit each other and like throw them at each other. Um, but, you know, even in that scenario, Nick Nolte was kind of getting his ass kicked in that yeah. too. Even though Robert De Niro is like handcuffed to this boat, he can barely like fucking stand because of the water's just crashing on him. He's still able to pick up a rock, hit him with it, and still throw it pretty accurately and nail fucking Nick Nolte in the face with a huge rock. Yeah. And this is where some of that like imagery I was talking about starts to uh, get a little like knock you over the head a little bit. Like there's blood on Nick Nolte's hands and he washes his his hands of the blood and the sin, you know. Uh, Rob De Niro gets, like you mentioned, he starts uh, speaking in tongues as the the piece of the boat that he's stuck on is like now stuck in the water. The water well, before wide. that, I was going to say, before that, um, Nick Nolte's like, he's going to kill him. He takes this huge rock. Yeah. And he's like, I'm going to... I'm not going to Gregory Peck this thing. I'm going to fucking kill you, man. So he takes the rock. He's about to smash his head in. And as soon as he does, a huge wave just 
takes um, De Niro and the piece of the boat that he's attached to to the rest of the river. So he doesn't get his vengeance right. that he wanted. Right. Yeah. And Rob De Niro in this fantastic, like you said, much parody scene. <laughs> stuck on this pole, handcuffed, speaking in tongues, uh, recounting Bible verses and stuff like that. And just like, no fear at all, sitting there waiting for his demise. He's still got the crazy narrow eyes, like his water's up to here. He's like, Yeah. And I'm just like, Yo, this guy's nuts. I'm like, That part's a little goofy. Um, <laughs> And uh, yeah, Max Katie uh, drowns to death in the middle of uh, Cape Fear. Um, the daughter picks back up on her narration from the beginning of the film. And it's more or less like, yeah, that was fucked up and we don't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> we don't talk about the summer of 91 anymore. <laughs> I don't know. That's such a, such a different ending. Again, without the obvious like biblical metaphors knocking over the head like those rocks. Um, I guess this is a happy ending, but not really like this family is forever scarred and broken mm -hmm. and that makes sense i mean look what happened to them uh you know you're not going to be able to gregory peck your way into like just going back to like you know i'm just going to go back to work next week and my family's mm -hmm. going to be fine like this is like lasting scarring damage and like um i'm surprised that they're even all still like together you know like this. right yeah that there wasn't like a ps scene like there was a divorce or anything yeah. you know that's what i thought would happen yeah but I mean, honestly, like it is kind of jarring because, like, if you're if you're following that scene, she's kind of saying that like there's like, what did I do last summer? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> she's like reading in what looked like a classroom setting, maybe mm -hmm. it had something to do with like her drama school or something like that. But it was just like, wow, dark, dark film. And then we kind of get like the insomnia negative, and it turns yeah. red, and we zoom in on her eyes, and it's like, I don't know. They they play a lot with a lot of the visuals, and I thought that um. That was one of the strengths of the remake as well. But a dark, dark ending. Dark Sweet. ending. I mean, it makes sense. It, it's a traumatic event. It's not going to just life go back to normal. You know, obviously they've been a, through a horribly traumatic experience. Also, they had a bunch of drama going on at the same time, you know, um, with uh, the parents arguing the infidelity of Sam and just like um, isolating their daughter, just like, you know, losing that connection they, they have with her. So there's a lot of things going on in addition to the traumatic event of Max Katie that they have to deal with afterwards. And it's not going to be easy sailing for the Bowden family afterwards. You know, it's, it's going to take a lot of work if they want to stay together as a family unit. So it is, it is sweet because obviously the bad guy's gone, but it's bitter because you still have problems and you're yeah. going to have to deal with them. They're not going away. Yeah. And it's one of those things where like, I struggle to find a scenario where that family doesn't tear apart you know right like, uh, and i guess maybe what what helps is that the daughter being of an older age like is mm -hmm. gonna be able to get to the point where like she's independent of them but like right. uh, i don't know there's not really a lot of solace in that it's just like these events happen these are the effects and that's that's it you know yeah kind of gave me a little bit of like uh without all the extracurriculars and the credits it kind of gave me like halloween Halloween remake vibes. Like I said, like the insomnia thing, but also like Halloween, just like that happened, negative like camera filter and go back to that score. And just like that, <laughs> that's it. 
weird, man. Creepy, creepy uh, film. That's more or less like how the two movies went down. Um, I think that like I'm usually not the music guy and stuff, but like I got to give a shout out to the music choices. Um, like I said, that original score, Herman's uh, original score. Like I said, if you take that score out of that original movie, it's just a movie about a guy that's kind of walking around town and these two neighbors slightly having a disagreement until violence happens, right? Um, without that score, the original was like the tension wouldn't be there. So it's a very effective uh, musical score. I thought it was pretty bold of, uh, in the remake for Elmer Bernstein to basically just adapt the same mm-hmm. score. Um, they punched it up quite a bit, but like that score hits different in that 1991 movie, but it was interesting that it was even applicable to both films. I found that to be pretty interesting. Yeah. I mean, I guess me because I grew up with Cape Fear, it's it's such a recognizable score to me. So I was happy to hear it in the remake. I mean, I guess I was happy to hear it in the original because I thought that song just came from the remake. And then mm-hmm. watching the original, I was like, oh, wow, it's actually from here. I mean, it's not, doesn't have that intensity that I recognize it from the remake, but it's it's still there. And I don't know, I, I liked it. I liked it in both films. And yeah, it is a little bit like on the nose of like <laughs> evil in this town, but like, I don't know, it's just a, such a recognizable score to me. So I, I really like it in both films. Like anything could could have been scary with that score, right? Like <laughs> someone just kind of turned around and looking at me. I was like, oh, wait, <laughs> you know, it was pretty funny. So um, it, very effective score. I'm glad that it made its way to the remake. And um, like you mentioned, growing up with it, that the remake punched it up so much that like it, it worked even more. Mm-hmm. Um, they really smart choice um and and honestly a bold choice because uh it's it's hard to take someone's original score and mess with it and they mm-hmm. did it effectively and that impressed let's just put that <laughs> fair enough is there anything else reggie any other scenes that you thought were just different in the remake that we didn't address any character traits that we didn't discuss no, I think we were pretty thorough. I mean, honestly, the, the main scene that jumped out at me, we talked about, is that Gregory Peck's Lee Heller is is hilarious. It feels like it doesn't really fit in the movie. It feels almost <laughs> like an aside, like an Easter egg. But um, I'm glad it's there because it's such a preposterous uh, character. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's always fun to see people from the original in the remakes. So that was much appreciated. Totally. All right, so we just get to our verdicts then? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Dan, what is your verdict for the Cape Fear remake? Like I said, I grew up watching the remake. I'd never seen the original. And I liked a lot of things from the original. And, you know, it's it sticks to that original pretty... Um, ac- I mean, it, it, it really just stays in track with that original film. And they didn't really do too much to really separate itself from that original source material i mean even calling it cape fear again because the book was called um the, the exterminators what was it oh the executioners. the executioners oh yeah sorry the original book was called the executioners so they're really just borrowing a lot from that original film like we discussed the score just now um but they did do some new things with the the Bowden family obviously the family dynamic isn't the perfect family from the original film and then you know you let de niro just you just let him go <laughs> as Max Cady. 
it's um it's definitely a departure in that aspect just what what they did with the characters and i think there's definitely some memorable things especially about de niro's max katie i mean like i said i just watched that all the time as a kid and they cleaned up some things definitely at the ending uh, i think it just moves a little bit better uh, even though it's weird that they let, let's leave the house um even though these two people got murdered i do think uh, um, the ending works better you know giving the women in the family a little more agency um fighting against max and not just leaving it to the men this time uh was appreciated so um you know it's it didn't blow me away um what scorsese did but i think the portrayals are just so interesting and so fun um fun is a loose term because it's pretty violent material but you know just seeing de niro go crazy southern like that and um yeah i i think this remake should exist like i said it's just been parodied so many times in, in tv and movies and just it's, i know it's stuck in my mind especially that ending the way de niro is just looking at you while he's drowning is just yeah. like that's an image that's burned into my brain forever so i i absolutely think this remake should exist yeah and for me um this is my first time obviously watching both films i started with the original and was actually pretty impressed with uh with the pacing and the subject matter i think that like i was surprised that they handled such kind of like tough tough themes uh, with someone like a Gregory Peck, you know, like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, it appears to me to have been a pretty bold undertaking of a film, and I think they uh, handled it really well. And I was not at all kind of like underwhelmed or bored while watching the movie. I thought it was a really competent film. Um, the remake, to me, like you said, they didn't really change much in terms of like the general bones of the film. But what I think that what makes this remake stronger, or sort of character studies, Nick Nolte's take on um, on Sam, it was, uh, it was okay. I thought he was honestly one of the weaker links in the film uh, in terms of his portrayal. I think I'm just used to Nick Nolte and different stuff and I didn't buy him as a Gregory Peck type character. <laughs> and by having him be a little more like rough around the edges, I think that did help smooth it out. But like Rob De Niro is absolutely phenomenal as this villain. Um, like I mentioned, it gets a little, close to like a Jason Voorhees type thing mm-hmm. by the end. It's like, all right, why isn't this guy dead yet? <laughs> um, but it, you know, stayed enough ground in reality that I thought it worked well. Uh, he got totally shredded for this role. He was very scary. And like you said, that the idea of like staring somebody down while you're drowning uh, is terrifying. I thought it was really well done. But the, the mother and the daughter, I mean, standouts in the mm-hmm. films. Uh, right. So Jessica Lange and Juliette Lewis just I mean, they were very strong in this movie, specifically mm-hmm. Juliet Lewis. And let's not even, uh, let's not forget Joe Don Baker's <laughs> private investigator. Like, <laughs> just having De Niro's strong character and those other three being such strong characters, it made it well worth watching the film. I think that the remake totally should exist. Um, like you mentioned, it wasn't like a, a home run hit for Scorsese. Mm-hmm. I've definitely seen better stuff from him. But the actor's he got a lot out of those actors, and I thought right. that was impressive. There's a little bit of shakiness in the ending and how it's set up, but uh, it works well enough. So I thought it was a good movie, and I'm glad we watched it. Uh, it should totally exist. Yeah. 
for me, there's just so many moments in that remake that are just like, I just feel like they are iconic. Like De Niro smoking that cigar, obnoxiously watching Problem Child in the theater. <laughs> fucking, uh, I love that bear and that fucking fishing line. That's right. such a good moment for me. Um, you know, again, and the, the eyes just staring at you as you drown. So there's just so many moments in that movie that just like feel like they're so good and it's done yeah. so well. They really are. I mean, there, there are moments where it kind of... <laughs> It was kind of giving me like natural born killer vibes. It was like, all right, are we stylizing a little too much of this? But uh, <laughs> it, it was grounded enough. Um, and I think like this, the film shined particularly strong in its early, the early parts of the film. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, I think the original was a slow starter that like got interesting towards mm-hmm. the middle. Uh, this film was like just out the gate, ready to go. Got a little muddy towards the end, but like, stuck the landing i think and um mm-hmm. yeah i thought the remake was, was pretty good yeah the way scorsese shot it he was very influenced by hitchcock there's mm-hmm. a lot of quick pans of the camera a lot of fast zooms in on and, and like random situations not necessarily intense situations oh. but it definitely gives like a frantic feel in the remake like, that happens the squash a lot. game is like shot like frantically i thought that was <laughs> interesting you know yeah so um yeah, it's a good movie. The special effects, there's a lot of green screen. You can really notice it. Like, it's the, it's the clouds. He wants this dark, ominous feeling following uh, Max Katie sometimes. And it's just, yeah, you could see the green screen. That didn't age well. But, yeah. you know, there's still some good shots <laughs> that Scorsese's got here. I don't think okay. you necessarily needed, like, that to make this Max Katie ominous. Like, I, I don't think, think you needed it either. Yeah. I think the original shows you that you don't have to be, like, obviously scary to be scary like yeah. that guy just like wearing like a uh what is it like a cuban shirt and a panama hat like it's like what the guy looks like he's going on vacation and yet here he is drinking a beer looking at your teenage daughter it's like hey man <laughs> that's creepy cut that shit out <laughs> that's what we thought um what's our next episode reggie well um i've been thinking about this a bit you know um and we're actually in this, this mode where like people aren't able to go to theaters and stuff like that. So like a lot of the movies are coming out like streaming uh, services. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking that because Godzilla versus King Kong is coming out, so okay. <laughs> that it might be a good idea to explore our, our friend, the lovable King Kong. Let's find out his origins, his backstories, the originals, the remakes. Let's do it. Okay, so which King Kong? Because there's quite a few, and I believe Jessica Lang is even in one of them. <laughs> I think there are four different King Kongs. There's the original one, there's the one with Jessica Lang, there's the Peter Jackson one, and then there's the one that came out a few years ago. That's the current right. run of King Kong. You know what, Dan? Since there are so many versions of this, we got to hone in. Um, I think we got to go with the original 33. I mean, mm-hmm. the original is the original. Of course. And um, although there is a more modern remake, perhaps we'll explore at some other point. Uh, let's watch the 76 version with uh, yeah, the same damn actress. For <laughs> 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 right. Jessica Lang run. All right. I like it. Yeah. No, it's good. This could be a good opportunity to like, do multiple episodes like on kind of the same movie because there are so many King Kong remakes. So it could be interesting to revisit king kong in another capacity i like it yeah i mean honestly with the pace hollywood's going we're gonna be able to do a lot of remakes and remakes <laughs> yes yes it's, it's pretty nuts i mean clearly they're not done with king kong because uh like i said hbo max is doing godzilla right. versus king kong it comes out uh this month 
Uh, and I'm gonna watch it. Yeah. <laughs> so am I. I'm gonna watch that new Mortal Kombat. Oh hell yeah! Oh yeah, dude! I can't wait for the Snyder Cut coming out this soon. Snyder Cut. Dude, you know what's crazy? We're gonna be able to do Mortal Kombat. And I don't know if it's it. It might be like a retro versus like a reboot episode. Yeah, it's more of a, more of a reboot. Right. But we could still do it because yeah. we did, did Tomb Raider. I don't see why we wouldn't be able to do Mortal Kombat as well. I was just thinking about it though. Like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. That's cool. Really <laughs> all vaccinated and shit. That's weird. Costumes for that one. Um. All right. So, uh, King Kong. Um, King Kong. King Kong, kind of two, but not <laughs> three or four. There, there's so many versions. So. Uh, yeah. Uh, for the audience, um, <laughs> check the notes and make sure you're watching the right one. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. So next episode is going to be King Kong. Um, well, that was our episode on Cape Fear. Definitely let us know what you guys thought. Um, did you agree with us? Did you disagree with us? Did we miss anything? Definitely let us know in the comments. Um, if you're watching this on YouTube and aren't subscribed, please subscribe to us. Help the channel grow. If you're listening on iTunes, if you can give us a five-star review, that would also greatly help us grow. I mean, guys, as always, thanks for listening. Um, you can check us out. We're on iTunes. We're on Spotify. Uh, if you're watching this, you're watching on YouTube. Um, on social media, it's at Retro vs. Remake. And we have Instagram and Twitter. So, yeah, check us out. As always, thanks for listening, guys. I'm Reggie Parker. And I'm Dan Bulick. This has been another episode of Retro vs. Remake.